Welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Stavros. Today, we will be talking with Kim Martin-Cotton and Benjamin Livingston. Kim and Ben can be seen this season as Beatrice and Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing. Kim Martin-Cotton has appeared on Broadway as Portia in The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino and in August, Osage County. Her off-Broadway credits include Josie in Moon for the Misbegotten, Polina in The Winter's Tale, and Guide in Not What Happened for BAM's Next Wave Festival. She has also appeared as Mrs. Conway in Time and the Conways at the Old Globe, Goneril in King Lear with Stacey Keach, and Naomi Izuka's Ghostwritten at the Goodman Theater, and Lady Macbeth at Actor Theater of Louisville. Kim is the producing director of Hang a Tale, a theater company producing stories for the stage in Brooklyn, New York. This season at the festival, she can be seen in Much Ado About Nothing and The Three Musketeers. Ben Livingston is an actor and writer from New York City. He has previously been seen in the festival as Capulet in Romeo and Juliet, Lloyd in Noises Off, Polixenes in The Winner's Tale, Mephistopheles in Dr. Faustus, Don Armando in Love's Labor's Lost. This season he can be seen in Much Ado About Nothing, Henry V, and The Three Musketeers. He has also appeared in over 50 roles in film and television, including most recently The Blacklist, The Nick, Elementary, House of Cards, Daredevil, Blue Bloods, The Good Wife, and Person of Interest. His extensive theater work includes appearing on Broadway in The Heiress, starring Jessica Chastain, The National Theater's One Man, Two Governors, and the long-running hit musical Mamma Mia. Off-Broadway, he played Doc Gibbs in the critically acclaimed production of Our Town, directed by David Cromer, Father Dunstan in the Library at The Public, directed by Steven Soderbergh, and has appeared regionally at the Mark Taper Forum, South Coast Repertory, Old Globe in San Diego, Arizona Theater Company, the Pasadena Playhouse, the California Shakespeare Theater, and the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Ben also co-wrote the screenplay for The Raven, starring John Cusack. Kim and Ben, welcome to The Play On Podcast. We're excited to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having uh, Excited to be here. <laughs> uh, ben, it's been a while since you've been at the festival here, and Kim, this is your first time, correct? No, in no. 1998, I was secretly here <gasps> doing some shows with David Ivers on the outdoor stage. Excellent. So, good. So this is essentially both of you, are, it's been a while, but you're, you're both coming back. Excellent. Uh-huh. Um, well, before we tar- start talking about roles, I have lots of questions about your, uh, your time here. Give us each a little bit of, uh, about yourselves, what, what got you into theater, um, and some other places you've, uh, you've enjoyed working. Kim, why don't you go first? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I, uh, I found theater late, I guess, in my 20s. Uh, I was in music and dance and, and sports before that, and my actually my last year of high school, my friends um, made me be in a pinter play. So I was in a <laughs> play that I thought... Um, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> it was uh, a kind of Alaska. Oh. Wow. And so it was obscure and unusual, and uh, uh, after that I thought, well, that's the only play I'll ever do. <laughs> But um, I, I stumbled into uh, a wonderful theater program, and I started painting sets. And then I thought I would be a set designer, and then I was sure that I would be a director. But I realized that all the directors I was around were uh, amazing actors, and, um, and I thought, well, if I'm going to be a good director, I have to understand acting. So I decided to go to graduate school for acting first, And the intention was then to go to acting, I mean, to go from acting school to directing school. Uh, But once I graduated from graduate school, 
I uh, I started getting jobs, and that was persuasive. So I had Indeed. this experience of working as an actor, and um, then later became persuaded to study classical acting in intensive in D.C. with the Shakespeare Theater for a year, and sort of um, forgot about directing for a little while. And then when I got out of school the second time, <laughs> I uh, I started directing and acting, and now I'm directing, acting, and producing. Um, and uh, I think I think it was. Um, accidental <laughs> that well, I became an actor. Well, Not accidental that I got into theater, but... Um, well, it seems point. like you've embraced, uh, <laughs> whether you came to it early or late, you certainly embraced all facets from yeah. backstage to onstage producing. Thank you. I have some questions we're going to come back to in a minute. Ben, uh, tell us how you got here. Yeah, well, I was a zoology major in college um, and pre-med and found that excruciatingly boring. Um, <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> for for the right person, and thank God there are doctors out there. Mm -hmm. But I tell people that uh, uh, as an actor, I am saving lives every day because had I been a doctor, I would have surely killed someone. <laughs> um, well, thank you for your service. <laughs> yes, yes, you're welcome, Josh. You're welcome. Um, but uh, to cure my boredom in college with all the chemistry and biology and all that stuff, my sister said you should go to the theater department and audition for a play. I'd never done a play in my entire life, not in high school or anything. And uh, they were auditioning for Our Town, and you didn't have to be a theater major, and I auditioned, and I was cast as baseball player number two, and <laughs> dead man number two. Ooh, yes, I yeah. got two roles. That's amazing. And uh, I just fell in love with it. And that play, to this day, sort of sticks with me as one of my favorite pieces of theater, and um, and then I had a, an honors advisor named Herb Lasky, who <laughs> called me into his office, because I had taken the, the test to get in, the MCATs, to, the, to get into medical school, and applied and got accepted to a school in Illinois, and he said, so are you going to go to uh, medical school, or are you going to go to acting school? <laughs> and I said, I think I'm going to go to acting school, and he, he looked me in the face and said, that is the biggest mistake you will ever make oh, in your entire life. Snap! And for most, most of the time, he's been generally right. <laughs> <laughs> if you look, I guess if you look days worked versus yeah, or right, hours right, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Herb. But, but then uh, I went to grad school at Indiana University to study acting. And while I was there... Uh, I got a summer job at a place called the Utah Shakespeare Festival in 1989, <laughs> and that was my very first paycheck as an actor, and I've been coming back uh, ever since, you know, with yeah. stretches. Stretches in between. Yeah. So, this idea of, I mean, you... You don't think of your 20s as late in your life usually, but I guess for, but we all know people in theater who like, they've been doing it since they were six or they found it right. in middle school. Yeah. So I guess in some ways it kind of is, but it's interesting that both of you sort of discovered this passion in your 20s. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel like having had different experiences in your youth has affected the, your approach to this, to your, to acting in a way that perhaps somebody who's been doing it since they were 10 or 11 or 12, um, doesn't. I mean, obviously you weren't them, but talk about what those experience, those non-theatrical experiences have meant for you in terms of your approach to acting. 
Um, well, I had a mother who was uh, deep in the arts. She was a designer, and she was um, also involved in choral music. And so, and her parents were musicians. Mm -hmm. So I came from this world of try everything, do everything, um, any uh, visual art or uh, music class or dance class that uh, she could get me into, I was, my brothers and I were in these classes, so sometimes that was, oh God, another class. <laughs> but I have to say that when, when uh, I think about having had this eclectic background in the arts and also um, a, a terrific liberal arts background mm -hmm. and a lot of science, which I loved, I thought I might be a marine biologist, too, along the way, but that <laughs> didn't happen. Um, but I think that kind of um, variety of information certainly helps me a lot as an actor, as a director particularly. Sure. And I feel like I have a lot of information that is, um, is, is helpful in putting, putting a play together in any way, whether it's just being part of a cast and, and uh, contributing through a single character or, or certainly as a director it helps me tremendously to, to weave things together and then as a producer to have a scope of understanding different elements and how I want to program a season mm -hmm. is really, it's really wonderful. A, a wider context is, yeah. Is, yeah. Great. Ben? Absolutely agree. Um, it's not to say that people who do only theater from the age of five aren't capable of being good actors, because obviously a lot of them are. But some of the more interesting actors I've met had very, very wide backgrounds. Sure. Um, and you'd be shocked. You know, you meet a lot of actors who were engineering majors, or they were poetry majors, or they were philosophy majors, or whatever. Uh -huh. um, I had a professor in grad school who uh, played a very large part in launching this theater, uh, Howard Jensen. Yes, Howard? I mean, very okay. well, very, very well. Yeah, so... It, our very first Hamlet, and uh, exactly. our very first Othello, yeah, huge, and director, amazing director, too. Yes, yes. And he was kind of my mentor in college, and, and the reason I got that first job here. And uh, I'll never forget interviewing with him to go to grad school, and he, he asked me zero questions about acting or theater. He asked me who my favorite painters were, who my favorite writers were. Uh, he, he was fascinated that I was a biology major. He later told me that that was one of the things that made me more attractive as an applicant. Um, and he was a huge proponent of having a breadth of knowledge, uh, both in the liberal arts and uh, just in life in general. And I think in a, it can only help you as an actor. You're, you're called upon to play so many varied roles, and it's kind of ironic how many times I've played a doctor on TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I play one on TV. And... <laughs> And it's really great because there, there was uh, uh, one instance where I played a heart surgeon and they had a consultant say, well, you're cutting in, uh, this is the heart. And I said, yeah, that's the, you know, the yeah. mitral valve or whatever. She goes, how do you know that? Well, and I, <laughs> I was going to be a doctor. Um, so you just never know what, uh, what area of 
information you're going to be called upon to use as an actor. Excellent. Thank you. Well, and so taking this idea, we've talked about it broadly in terms of your personal lives, swinging it down now, zooming into the Utah Shakespeare Festival this summer in Much Ado About Nothing, where you are uh, Beatrice and Benedict respectfully, uh, respectively, excuse me, uh, and respectfully. Uh, The, you know, hearing, taking this, you know, Beatrice and Benedict as cast in the show are not, you know, the young 20-something ingenues that Hero and Claudio are, which we'll talk about in a minute, but do you feel like they have had the breadth of their experience in their lives has impacted the nature of their approach to really, I mean, you can't help but think that the approach to their relationships or lack thereof in their lives is somewhat similar, that they have this, they've lived a little bit of life, they've had some experience with each other and others that has led to this, whether you call it jaded, whether you call it careful, I mean, talk about, as you've now, you're now in the characters, talk about their uh, resistance to perhaps mm-hmm. love or relationships or each other or whatever really you want to call it, um, and your approach as actors in creating this or in creating this role? Well, we, we talked about it uh, um, quite a bit with David uh, because uh, we wanted something to anchor on clearly for ourselves and also for the story that, that David was guiding us into. Um, and there are a lot of different ways, I think, that you can think about what, what happened <laughs> between yeah. them. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting the things that come up in the language about prideful, the prideful, scornful prideful is what certainly Beatrice, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your language say about you a lot? Yeah, uh, pride is one of them, but also, uh, I think Benedict has a little, uh, I just put a T on the end of it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Frank. I know, it's such a, uh, such a easy mistake. Um, his is more scornful, I right. think. Uh, m- more more in the color of jaded. Uh-huh. And um, That's true, and you do go on. I about do, I marriage. Do go on. Yes, yes, yes. And he's a, he's a skeptic when it comes to love and romance yeah. and marriage especially. And, and also, you know, this play is chock full of men uh, being fearful of being cuckolded, you know, and, and fearful of women in general, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And, yes. their, and their ability to, I don't know, be sexual in any way, right? So um, I think Benedict is, uh, uh, is just more of a cynic. Mm-hmm. So, well, we did talk about what was the thing, uh-huh. what was the thing, and, and we each um, uh, had language to anchor that idea on. And what we came to was instead of one, instead of one uh, person doing something terrible to the other, yeah. um, which I suppose can be uh, laid in there because Beatrice says, yes, once before he wanted of me with false dice about our hearts being entwined. I think that we thought it's strongest to have something that was an issue in which both of us became so prideful that we could not admit any 
responsibility to the conflict. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's pretty human. Yeah, absolutely. That you want to be right more yeah. than you want to solve it. <laughs> yes. Especially right. in, in when the heart is involved or yeah. when, in, you know, it's, it, the stakes are high. Well, I think, I, you know, speaking less objectively, I think that's a much more interesting choice than creating a victim and a victor. It, right. You know, creating immediate unbalance in terms of the grieve, aggrieved status, that there's some duality to it because then you both can be validated and come to a place. And it and it provides a richness for us, the audience, to see that, to see that grow. And then it takes a, that that moment after the wedding where everything is falling apart, breaking apart in a way that is shocking. That that is the moment we we can actually admit love for each other, because everything has crumbled, and there's nothing. I mean, there's no no nothing standing in the way of our feelings because mm -hmm. there is a coming together that mm -hmm. is caring and needful and and I think that's that's about growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so speaking I guess perhaps it's because I'm a man and so I've always seen it from this perspective. That scene, the end of the wedding is one of my most the most interesting scenes in the play to me because everyone all of the women seem to have aligned very clearly with Hero in my mind, naturally. And it's always been interesting to me that Benedict breaks with the men from the, uh -huh. from the moment it all starts to fall apart. And I'm interested, Ben, in hearing from you inside the character why that is. Because to me, it speaks... We always talk about these characters' intelligence and we always talk about their wit. But there's something really special to me about that moment. And, and I think you spoke of it as the characters coming together. But why do you think Benedict breaks so clearly so quickly in the, when it comes time to blame and, and hurt hero? Right, that's, that's a really great question. Um, <laughs> for me, it's, it's that he's been around the block. He's seen uh, human relationships in many uh, facets, and he's seen people come together and fall apart, as anyone my age would. Um, and he's dealt with it with, with Beatrice before and after. And so I think his instincts are maybe a little more heightened than certainly Claudio's. And the prince, being the prince, has not, probably not had a lot of relationship <laughs> experience. Yes. Um, and, and so I think it's just, a, for me, it's experience and instinct. Um, just like the friar, and and the friar says, you know, call me a fool, trust not my age, my divinity, all that stuff. I, I kind of feel the same way as Benedict, you know, that, wait a second, this, this just do doesn't add up, Yeah. you know. It, well, and so the other thing that's interesting to me, thank you, I appreciate that, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, we talk about these characters' age, as I get closer in my own age <laughs> to the age where people say, well, these are these are people who are older and been around the block or whatever, I think... But I'm close to that age. I'm not that old. Like it's always, I always think about that. Like we're not that old, but but relative to Hero and Claudio, there is right. obviously an age difference. And I think uh, we're. What were the conversations you had with David, maybe even before the rehearsals began, as you were, you know, as you were approached about these roles and you were talked about this character and what you wanted to bring to the table? What were some of the things that you talked about with him about this show? 
Well, um, he talked a lot about the place he wanted to set it, which is this beautiful olive orchard mm -hmm. in in Italy that has this um, place and time for passion and joy, mm -hmm. and that the returning of the men from war and the relief that none, very few were lost in the action of war is uh, a bursting forth of the celebration, and so that there's this energy that, is, that has been bottled mm -hmm. for a couple of years, both in them, because they've been at war, and in us, because we've been the older men, the young, the young, young men, and the women waiting mm -hmm. for those we love or those we that are part of our world. And so there's been this moment at the very top of the play where everything becomes uncorked. And so we talked a lot about that energy and what that energy does to the language, the size of expression, um, perfect for this space mm -hmm. because it needs a physical and a vocal um, robust approach in order to tell the story. Uh, and I do think that um, he knew that taking it into a passionate vein would take us to highs and would take us to passionate lows that would really, I think, um, make this story blossom in a particular way so that the stakes were always incredibly high. And people were not being careful. That's the other thing which is mm -hmm. really lovely about David's knowledge of this play is that people are smart and they're rushing into things because they're smart and then there's this uncorked energy. Yeah. And so that's what we talked about prior to the show a lot. I don't know mm -hmm. um, what In terms of Benedict, um, it's funny. David and I have known each other for a long time. We were both, uh, for lack of a better term, spear carriers mm -hmm. at the <laughs> Oregon Shakespeare Festival back in 1991. He was in school there and I was just out of school. And we were really uh, immature knuckleheads. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope if, if David listens to this, I hope takes it I think in he, the spirit. I think he's actually said similar things about himself yeah. in various podcast episodes. Yeah, so but, you... uh, he and I have some similar life experiences in that we came to real um, love and marriage and family life uh, a little bit later in our lives, and it took some uh, education, <laughs> and that Benedict is a lot like that, yeah. you know, uh, at least in this iteration with an older Benedict, that um, he's just been kind of a knucklehead for so long, and a cynic for so long, that opening himself up to real love, not a kind of uh, young, impetuous mm -hmm. love, which Hero and Claudio could, could be. Certainly. Um, I think the thing that's so compelling about Benedict and Beatrice is, is their resistance, initially, is grounded in realism. It's they see the world the way it is, mm -hmm. you know, and you love those characters in Shakespeare who, who, yeah, you know, say, no, the, this the, is the, how it the really truth is. speakers, not yes, yeah, the yeah, truth speakers. yes, absolutely. They see the world for how it is. They see human relationships for how they really are, 
And so when they open themselves up to love, it's real love. And it's not some construct that they feel they're supposed to be doing, right? And that's certainly been the experience in my life yeah, as well. And David sort of feels that, that way, way too, yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting sort of juxtaposing what you just said, Kim, about this uncorked energy field felt overall, and yet here's these two characters within this excited, jubilant world, not even really applying the brakes, but just reminding everybody the speed at which the world works and that that's totally, and that that's good. That there's this, that these, that, you know, David may say that the story is Hero and Claudio's, but there's something about the orbit around Beatrice and Benedict that I think is really, that's really interesting to think about those two ideas together. Uh, final thoughts, actually switching gears slightly as we close out. Uh, Kim, you are, as you mentioned, a producer, a director, and an actor. What You've got your own theater company, Hang a Tale. Uh, what's next for you uh, in, in Brooklyn uh, with your company? Uh, well, that, that uh, actually keeps shifting a little bit depending on um, what's going on in New York at this moment because we uh, were, were intending to do a pair of Beckett's this fall, mm -hmm. and because of some of the rights, we have now switched, switched gears a little. So we're approaching a few different workshops, uh, a Hamlet workshop, uh, an Orpheus Descending workshop, um, possibly Curse of the Starving Class awesome. exploration uh, this fall. And then I think in the spring, uh, we are still doing a pair of Beckett's, but we're n not doing the pair of Beckett's we thought we were doing. <laughs> so we're doing um, Crap's Last Tape and a small piece called A Joe, and that's still dependent on what the Beckett estate has to say to us. But we think that they'll say yes to those two. But it's, Exciting. It's, uh, They're notoriously tough. They are they notoriously are. Yes. difficult. Yeah. And actually we have some um, casting choices that are unusual, but uh, at this point they have to be flexible with the diversity that our, our world holds. That's... And so they won't let you switch gender, but they will let you explore. Really? Yeah, they won't. No, you cannot huh. at all. It's uh, it's really tough. Um, I wonder what Beckett would say. Yeah, I was exactly. going to say that. <laughs> I think uh, all female waiting for Godot would be really interesting to uh, a lot I of people. I would like to think he would think so too. Yes, uh, but his estate does not. <laughs> and uh, so we're doing that and a reading series that's uh, one classic or modern classic a month. And we're trying to plan the next three years and uh, it's it's exciting. That's awesome. Thanks. Ben, uh, in addition to all of your wonderful work on the stage and screen, you uh, also have, uh, have been a, you're a writer and have written, I know, at least one produced screenplay, I'm yeah. sure, among others. Yeah. Do you have anything exciting sort of that you could talk about as sort of in the pipeline beyond just your next role or your next performance? Uh, <laughs> exciting to whom is the <laughs> question, right? So, yeah, there are things that I'm working on both... Uh, uh, alone and with a writing partner um, whose name ironically is Hannah Shakespeare that's her actual name and uh, we wrote the Raven yep. together and uh, we still collaborate uh, it's really really hard <laughs> to get a movie made it took, yes it took 12 years to get the Raven made really yeah wow yeah and um, you know there with the amount of money involved uh, there are more than a few people who want to get their scripts made. Sure, sure. Um, 
but I, I enjoy the process and I enjoy sort of coming up with stories and things and um, it's a little harder now that I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old I to carve out time <laughs> to actually write but um, yeah and then we'll go home to New York and audition again and back in back on the treadmill giddy up yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today uh, and your performances uh, on our stages this year. We, uh, we're grateful to have you, and uh, thanks for visiting with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season. 